Listener Production. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to Come Out Wherever You Are, a podcast about the coming out experience told by the people who have done it. Today is a very special day. Today is a very special episode, a very special full circle moment for the podcast because today we have invited back the original Come Out Wherever You Are guest, Denny Todorovic. (laughs) Denny trusted me to hold space for their story long before this podcast had even proven itself as a safe space for our community. And they told two stories. You didn't just tell your coming out story as gay. You also told your coming out story as non-binary. And today, you're going to tell your coming out story as an author queen. (laughs) Denny, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. And congratulations on the success of this show. Thanks, babe. So good. Before we dive in, I read the first and the last page of your debut book, Love This For You, How to Rewrite the Rules and Live Authentically in just one sitting. I can count on one hand the number of times that I've read a book in one day. It's just hard. Like, it's hard to keep someone's attention for that long. It's also hard, you know, to feel that push and to want to make the time. And I just like, I read it till one in the morning. I couldn't stop. I ate it up. I think it's definitely a testament to your skill. I think the world knows you're a really good writer. But the kind of sentence that, I was left with when I finished was it felt like therapy with a friend, Mm. which is really important to dissect because it's not therapy. You're there, you're sitting in front of another person and you're talking about your life, but it's void of a relationship with that person, right? It's usually you don't know so much about them. It's so one-sided. And this felt like I was clearly in a therapy session. Like I was forced to dive deep into myself and forced Mm. to look at maybe some problems or some trauma, but I was doing it with someone who was also willing to share theirs with me. Mm. So it's not quite a self-help book, even though I did feel like myself was being helped. And it's not quite a memoir, though I did feel like I learned quite a lot about you and I already knew a lot. So Mm. how would you describe the book that you have just written? Mm. I would describe it as as like an anecdotal guide. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to use this analogy. You know, when you jump into the car and you put an address into Siri or Google Maps, whichever maps you use, and you say, okay, Siri, take me to Federation Square. Mm. Siri will just say, you know, go straight 50 kilometers, go left for 20, go whatever. But imagine if Siri was like, oh, babe, this highway is a bitch. Like, I know this highway. There'll be a cop car over there and a a speed light camera over there. And then they'll drive you down this road and they'll say, oh, my God, this place has the best kebabs. Like, make sure you put that on your, you know, tab for later. (laughs) It's kind of that. So it's like it's it definitely has elements of self-development, let's say, maybe more so than self-help because I'm not a psychologist by any means. It's. I I sort of described it to a friend as, you know, like an almanac. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember in Back to the Future? It's like one of my favorite movies ever. When um, Marty McFly gets this almanac and it like, you know, so it's kind of like I've walked the path ahead of you potentially. And I'm not saying that I've walked it so that you don't have to because you will have to walk it yourself. But I'm walking it. And I've walked it rather, and I'm guiding you along your walk. Mm. So yeah, it's a guide that is very much written for yourself. And it is also anecdotal in that 
there are elements of it that would appear to be memoir adjacent, but it's mm. not a memoir. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to read another excerpt from your book because I sure. just adored it. Queer people often have seasons of life. You typically spend most of your adolescence absolutely hating your queerness. You despise it. You reject it. You suppress it. You put one mask over the other mask and then one underneath that. And to be honest, sometimes the masks just never come off. If you do choose to come out and live your authentic expression, you are then welcomed with a plethora of choices in a new world, only to find out that within this world exists so many subcultures with their own rules and groupthink. And it's up to you whether you lean into that or not. Will you be a sub or a dom, a top or a bottom, a twink or a bear? Who did that resonate with me? And I'm sure to a lot of listeners. And one of the thoughts I had, I just wrote it down. Are these masks unavoidable? And more importantly, how dangerous are they to each of us? I haven't heard my writing uh, read back, so just let me <laughs> let me just catch up with that for a second. Wow, wild, wild, wild. Um, okay, so I think for a certain age group of people, the masks absolutely are unavoidable. I do hope, for example, that when Stella and Cooper grow up, your children that those masks will be less necessary. Mm. But I think for anyone reading this book who is, you know, over the age of 18, yeah, I do think the masks are unavoidable because it's just what we do. It's what all people do. doesn't matter whether you're, you know, queer or straight. Everyone puts masks on. In the queer community, it's more prevalent because you are the minority. You are the, the one that, you know, People are, you know, the whole country gets to vote whether or not you get married. So then you mask your desire to even get married because mm. you're not allowed to or whatever the case may be. Um, they are absolutely unavoidable. What was the follow-up question, sorry? I'm just wondering how dangerous they are. Like, is it oh. problematic to have them? Like, you and I both know that we have masks, some of mm. which we'll never be able to take off from our childhood. So many people listening mm. are like, I can't rip it off my face. I was raised Catholic. Mm. I can't. One of the things you say in the book that obviously slapped me across the face because it's my story too is I will never be able to unpick my relationship to God or praying. I will never mm. be able to unpick the feeling of being a sinner. It's always going to be there no matter how much mm. work I do. Mm. Is that bad? And like, who's to blame for it? Yeah, I think, you know, keeping them on is problematic and is is dangerous. However, we have to also remember that there is an element of survival that comes with being queer. So no matter where you live, there may be like a survival instinct in you to keep that mask. Mm. You know, am I going to wear the dress and the 10-inch stilettos walking down Moorable Street in Geelong? That's a question I have to ask myself and I have to think about my safety and I have to think about my mental health and what any kind of reactions may stir within me. Mm. So then if I choose to keep that mask on, not wear the dress, not wear the heels, well, I'm, I'm doing that for my survival. Yeah. I think though, when those masks start to become detrimental to your happiness, to your mental health, to your relationships, to your, you know, your day-to-day -day life, yeah, absolutely, they're, they're problematic. And I would hate to, like, live in a world where everyone is just walking around with masks, and yet we, we are. So I think the antidote to that is, like, how do we find spaces where we can remove those masks safely, mm. you know? And is that at first with, with people that, 
you trust most or in a space that you trust most. And not to mention also there's a whole other subculture of people in our community who actually relish in those masks. Mm. If we look at the fetish and the kink community or, you know, people who go to parties and spaces where putting on those masks and stepping into a persona or another side of their identity is really liberating for them and it's actually the only way that they can have sex or be social or whatever it might be. Such a layered, such a layered topic. But I think ultimately on a day-to-day basis the less you're masking up, mm. the more free you feel. And that's that's ultimately how I want people to feel. It's, it's the, definitely the world I want to live in. And I want to live in a world where if someone is walking next to me in a gimp mask, then like, go off, sis, you know? Mm. One of the things the book gave me was just an opportunity to sit and analyze what mass I might have. And so I think if you're listening to this and that feels like a foreign topic to you, mm-hmm. like getting the book and reading it will be useful because the masks are only necessarily dangerous when they have power over you or you're not aware they exist. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. In the chapter Home Truths, you share a story that a lot of queer listeners, no matter their gender or sexuality, will relate to in some way. Are you willing to share a little bit of the story where you were caught wearing a dress? And then I have a question about that story. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, I was really little and my mom had this purple taffeta bridesmaid's dress. And I was just in like absolute awe, obsessed, all the things I wanted to be that dress. And one Saturday morning, well, actually on multiple Saturday mornings, I would go into mom and dad's room while they were sleeping somehow managed to get a stepladder or a chair or something, pulled it down, put it on, swished around the living room in it um, and just like felt euphoric, you know. Mm. And then on one particular Saturday morning, my parents came out of the bedroom. They could hear giggling in the living room. It was myself and my brother. And I just instantly knew that what I did was wrong. Mm. Um, My dad smacked me across the bum which I'm not sure if I included that in the book. You no, did. I did actually, did. Yeah. yeah. Because culturally that's very normal in our, in our culture, in our ethnicity. And it was the first time, but not the last time, that I, that I was reprimanded for, for my femininity. And that moment stuck with me so that any other time I would ever wear anything remotely feminine, particularly if it was, say, a dress, I would do that behind closed doors for a long time. Mm. Mm. It really resonated because, well, obviously I'm a parent. So naturally mm-hmm. I couldn't not observe it through the lens of being a parent. And mm. and I also know what a loving and amazing set of parents you have. And so the how h- hard that would have been for them, right? Mm. Like, you know, I've been next to you in full gowns mm. and full makeup with your parents smiling, going, you're doing great, yeah. Denny. So like, we know what has happened here. But the thing that stuck with me is I get messages in my DMs. And even though they're not talking about a slap physically, oftentimes people receive these metaphorical slaps or sometimes physical reminders that who they are and Mm. what they attempted to do is not appropriate. And then what happens is they never revisit it again. They never wear the pearls again. They never try makeup. They they quit dance class. They no longer sing, Mm. whatever it may be. For people who are considering getting the book, I think it's really valuable for you to spend some time talking about how you powered through that moment and continued to express yourself? Because a lot of people are going to read the story and go, "Why? Mm. how did Denny ever, ever mm. put on a dress again? How does Denny put on a dress now? I put on a dress now with the same 
a care factor as putting on a pair of jeans. Like, and I genuinely mean that. It's so effortless to me now. Um, But it wasn't certainly always that way. When you are traumatized by something, which I was, you repress it, right? You push it down, you push it down, you push it down. Yeah. But if if what you're repressing feels so authentic to who you are, it will start to rear its head, whether you like it or not. Mm. It will rear its head. My healing through that came via a group of gay men in Sydney in my sort of late 20s. I was dating a... God, I would call him like the poster gay of Sydney. And for all of the flaws of that relationship, the the biggest positive that came out of that relationship was the world that it opened me up to and the and that group of men who sadly are not in my life anymore, which is, yeah, really sad. But they relished in costumes and fancy dress and expressing femininely. You know, it, was, it wasn't uncommon to go around to someone's house on a Friday night to watch RuPaul's Drag Race and for there to be 10 guys in, you know, silk robes and pearl necklaces and someone would be in a pair of heels and whatever. And the first time I saw that, it's like, I think they call it exposure therapy yeah. in the lingo. And it was like exposure therapy to me. I kind of would, at first it freaked me out. It almost like, it really, really stopped me in my tracks. And then it was just this one night where they were like, Denny, here's a kimono. Here's a pair of heels. You know, give us your best twirl. Slowly but surely, party by party. First it was Halloween. Then it was, let's just go out in a pair of heels. Uh, it was dabbling in drag. We used to do drag nights where we would all get into drag, you know. So slowly but surely that exposure therapy, my God, it just worked miracles for me. But it wasn't until I made the decision to really start dressing authentically during the day in environments that weren't necessarily social, queer, dress-up environments. You know, I'll never forget wearing heels for the first time to brunch at my parents' cafe. And it was just the most liberating thing ever. So it doesn't happen all at once. It happens with lots of little moments. But some people never even allow themselves to have those moments. Yeah. So for me, it was like just leaning into it and admitting to myself that this felt good and and it felt authentic to who I am, you know? So, yeah, it it definitely was not an overnight process at all. So it was like it started when I was 28 and, you know, now I'm 34. So it's, it's definitely been a journey. And only now do I feel so effortless when I'm wearing a dress. And the only time I ever question wearing a dress is safety. But other than that, it's like it doesn't bother me at all. I hope there's a lot of people who hear the story and go, I had a moment like that. I've been suppressing Mm. my true feelings. I've always wanted to wear this. I've always wanted to do makeup or a crop top or no matter what it is, right? You have those moments and you have that that, um, traumatic event that occurred where where someone said to you, that's for girls or that's Mm. for boys. And then it completely shattered your desire. But if you have that voice in the back of your head that keeps popping up year after year, Mm. month after month, Denny's story, this book, 
allows you to kind of walk through that journey. There is light at the end of the tunnel if you just listen. It's not easy, but if you keep Mm. listening, what a beautiful gift to not have to keep hearing that voice anymore. I know. Yeah. So my producer and I both read the book and one of the things that jumped out to both of us was there's a lot of really beautiful talk about body positivity. When humans who were assigned male at birth acknowledge their truth and can live their lives as either non-binary or as a woman, or when a human who's born as uh, who's assigned woman at birth acknowledges their truth and lives their lives as a man or non-binary, is there this major shift in needing to deal with an entirely new set of weight ideals? The, the, why it stuck with me is. I'm just wondering, like, is it impossible to escape? It almost felt like I finished and I realized, oh my God, this isn't just a white girl problem. Society mm-hmm. will tell you it is a straight girl problem. You know, mm-hmm. young people shouldn't be online. Young girls shouldn't have magazines. Young girls, young girls, young girls. Obviously, it's an epidemic it's of young, young girls. It's problem, yeah. But when I read the book, I thought, Denny had to experience, I mean, it was a beautiful gift because you had to live yourself, but you had to experience the weight mm-hmm. of male body dysmorphia in the, in, as a straight person, then as a queer person in mm. a gay world in Sydney where it was like dangerous for your health. Mm. And then you come out as non-binary and all of a sudden your brain is going, wait a second, now I have a new set of ideals that are thrust mm. upon me that I'm not thin enough. And I thought, shit, is it impossible to escape? Mm. Yikes. Yes, it is impossible to escape is the short answer to that question. Because again, uh, our relationships with our bodies and weight are typically influenced and informed by external factors. If you didn't have a mirror in your house Mm. or a scale in your house, what would determine your happiness um, with, you know, your vessel? It's the external pressures. So for me, as like a little boy, let's say, it was, um, you know, Denny's too skinny or then Denny's chubby, blah, 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 blah. blah. Like you can never please wogs. Like Mm -hmm. my grandma will always still to this day, comment on my weight. Then as a gay boy, let's say, it was Denny needs to be muscly now because they live in Sydney and they're dating this guy and they're, you know, in an open relationship, having lots of group sex and threesomes and this and that and comparing their bodies to every other naked person in the room um, and and needing to feel adequate enough to hold their own in those in those spaces. I'll never forget the first time... I was in a threesome. It wasn't my my first threesome, but I was in a threesome and with my boyfriend at the time and another guy. And the guy turned to my boyfriend and said, fuck, look at your boyfriend's body. Like, look at his biceps, look at his arm, you know. And it was the first time I'd ever felt like physically validated in this group environment by, you know, this person I was in a relationship with and then also this other person that was lusting after me. Mm. That is more addictive than any recreational drug you will ever take, I promise you. So that 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 validation of like, yeah, like I'm the guy. Cool, great. Then when I came out as non-binary and even before I came out as non-binary, when I moved back to Geelong, it was like refiguring how this body should look because now I'm wearing different clothes. And so now I'm in an interesting position because I have lost a significant amount of weight in the last month because of a breakup. And that's only top of mind because everyone has told me, but also like I own a mirror, like I go to, I have a shower every morning. I know what my body looks like. 
So I now am a weight where I can very easily slip a dress on without having to worry too much about um, shapewear or whatever. But I've just started going to the gym. And yesterday I had this moment where I could see my biceps come back to me and it felt like that Sydney gay body type. It was somewhere like trying, begging its way to come out. And it actually gave me a great amount of um, kind of confidence or joy or something. Like I was more strength. It made me feel strong. I felt really strong yesterday and I was like, "Mm, okay. So now I've got this whole thing in my head that's like, okay, but if I get too muscly now, I'm not going to be able to fit into those dresses. So then what will I wear? So it's this weird thing. It's, it is inescapable to answer yeah. your question. Yeah. So I think the body, the piece of advice I would give to anyone who's reading this book is that that journey is so ever evolving for every person for a plethora of ways. And it can be really toxic and it can be really dangerous and it doesn't just impact young women. Mm, it's true. And I think the button on that story was a list of creators. It was so funny. Social media is often deemed as this like terrible thing for society. And one of the sentences you say is like, social media in that way has actually helped you because there are all these creators Mm. of all different shapes and sizes who talk positively about their love for their body and that Mm. that could be a solution for people who feel, wait a second, if Denny can't escape it, no matter what their gender or sexuality is, then how could I ever escape it? And the Mm -hmm. answer is, well, you can't, it's there. You can acknowledge Mm -hmm. it. So another theme, just do the work to acknowledge it. This book can give you that gift and then follow a bunch of the creators and it will make being a human and being online safer. Mm -hmm. Final question. In the chapter, Home Truths, you talk about home and it's a really beautiful kind of final piece of work. But specifically you say, when I think about home, I think what a good life I've had. And And that made me feel great because I have a similar relationship to home. But when I go into the DMs on uh, our account or in my own account, I'm met with a lot of queer people who don't have that relationship to home. They don't feel Mm. as safe. The history of our community is actually people either being kicked out or running away from home and escaping Mm. to cities where they can find acceptance. What happens then if the physical home isn't safe for you? Mm. So... The gag is that home is not a place. Home is inside of you. Mm. There is this incredible quote by Maya Angelou where she says, true belonging is when you belong everywhere and nowhere. And what I love so much about that sentiment is that you can belong everywhere and nowhere. So you can belong in like high school, the sports team, at home, Or you can belong nowhere. You know, you're not being picked for the sports team because you're gay. Your parents are kicking you out because you've just come out. There's literally no space for you to belong. Yet when you belong to yourself, Mm -hmm. when you find home within yourself, you belong everywhere and nowhere Mm -hmm. because home is inside of you. And in some ways, I also don't want to diminish the very real the very like dangerous, scary realities of, well, you can't just, you know, I don't want someone to listen to this and say, all right, Denny, well, that's all well and good to say. What am I going to do? Sit underneath the trees of Centennial Park and just sleep by the tree. You know, having a physical home or a shelter or a safe space that you can turn to each night to rest is, is incredibly important. But I can assure you that you could sleep in the fucking white house and feel like you don't belong or feel alone or you know at 
the most fancy hotel in the world. Um, you know, it's like that sentiment of being in a relationship where you can go to sleep next to someone and feel more alone than you ever will by yourself in bed. So home is inside. Once you find that home inside of you, which is truly, I believe, like the the purpose of your existence, um, you will always be at home. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm obviously very proud of you. Yeah. Uh, thank you for pouring your heart and soul into the pages. Throughout the book, I felt... I honestly felt like I was growing. Like it was uncomfortable. Mm. There were moments where I was like, oh, I don't really want to do this right now. Like, I don't know if I'm Mm. ready to acknowledge the truth, but I think all of us are looking to have a better relationship with ourselves, and it's possible Mm. if you grab the book. So love this for you. you. How to Rewrite the Rules and Live Authentically is available now. You can buy it at all of the major book retailers. Yeah, You can also get it as an ebook. You can also get it as an audio book. And obviously, if you aren't following Denny, you can follow them at, at Style by Denny on Instagram. And all of this information is available there too. Thank you so thank much you. for chatting today about your book. No, thank you. This is, yeah, you're a pleasure always. Bye. I love you. I love you too. Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus 18 youth and their website is minus 18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Our lovely producer is... Lindsay Grain. Our executive producer is... Lemma Bacharia. And we can't forget our audio producer... Chris Marsh. See you soon.